Well, happy birthday, church. 22 years. And you know, you know what that means. You people are getting stinking old. Other than the fact that I don't have a mullet anymore, I feel like I look exactly the same. Well, uh, it's, uh, it's no secret, I've been talking about this for 22 years, basically, that I had a lot of issues with the church uh, growing up, and that's a lot of what spurred on starting Westridge. Um, caused me at one point in my life to walk away from the church, and ultimately my relationship with God for a period of time. But starting Westridge changed my view of what church is really all about. 22 years later, I have to say that as flawed as it is, as imperfect as it is, as much work as it can be, Westridge has helped me to understand that we don't just go to church on Sunday mornings. We are the church every single day. In fact, nowhere in the Bible does it ever talk about going to church. It says how the church gathered, how the church got together. But it's not really correct to talk about going to church because, again, the church is not this building. It's you and me. It's us together that are the church. The church as it's described in the Bible is a place where there is this commitment to each other that says, I will walk with you down the narrow dirt path that leads to Jesus. I will do life with you. I will stand by you. When the church is as it should be, when the church is never church as usual, it never pretends to be perfect or gets all judgy. It never promises to have all the answers looks down on anybody. But instead, it always promises to carry each other's burdens and says, no matter what it is that you are facing, we will face it down together. I just turned 52 last month, and I don't think it's a stretch to say that I probably don't have another 52 years in me. And every year that I stand up on this stage on birthday Sunday, I just feel like how another year has rolled by and it starts getting to the point like you feel like you're running out of time, you know? And I don't know about you, but I just don't want to waste the rest of my life on things that have no meaning. And for me, this church represents the most important part of my life that will last beyond the grave. Well, it's good to be back with y'all. It was uh, nice having a break where we could just be part of things without having to be up here. So I appreciate the break, but it's good to be back. Um, And we're getting into this series, uh, How Little Can I Do and Still Get Into Heaven? So I don't know if you're like me, but um, if you are, you try to do as little as possible for whatever it takes that you're doing. And 
to get the amount of success that you think is adequate, right? So let's just say I am not an overachiever. For instance, I was one of those kids growing up who had a bit of natural smarts, not too smart, mind you, just enough to get me through. I went to uh, inner city school. In fact, (laughs) our daughter looked up the rating of uh, my high school uh, last night, and um, out of a scale of 1 to 10, it rated a 1. So the bar was pretty low, and uh, there was really no one there pushing me, so I did just enough to squeak by with a B average and just get on out of there. Right? It was an acceptable level of success for me at the time. Another example, working out. Same thing. I work out for one reason and one reason alone. I work out so that I can what? Eat. All you people who said eat, you are my brothers and sisters. You know, <laughs> I feel you. And so for a long time, I would only work out just enough that I could maintain my weight. Not to get healthy or fit or anything, right? Just so that I wouldn't get too fat. Which leads me to my greatest weakness, which is dessert at precisely 9 p.m. at night. My game plan has always been to eat as little as possible throughout the day. So that when 9 p.m. rolls around, and to be honest with you, sometimes I can only hold out to 8.45. But when that nighttime craving hits, I can still successfully binge on a bag of Oreos or Oberweiss peanut butter chocolate ice cream or put Oreos in my Oberweiss, which is like the best. That's like, whew, for me. Uh, but, I, you know, an acceptable amount of success is not that I would lose any weight. It's just that I wouldn't gain any by indulging in the things that I love. Well, I think that the same thing is true in the Christian life. We all want to go to heaven. We all, when it's said and done, at the end of the day, we want to ensure that we're going to get in there. Because the alternative sucks. Right? So, what seems to be an acceptable amount of success is that we do whatever it takes, as little as possible, so that we can still do whatever it is we want to do, live the way that we want to live, and still be Christian enough to just eke our way through those pearly gates at the end of the day. And if we get there, then I'm good. And so we spend our lives clinging to that beautiful verse in Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace you have been saved. We cling to the idea that we're saved by grace with one foot firmly planted on the God side of our life, carefully securing our eternal destiny. And all the while we have the other foot is trying to stay firmly planted on the other side, on the world side, so that we can continue to live the life that we want, so that we can still indulge in the desires that we have, 
But as we glance down, we realize we're straddling the abyss. And now all of a sudden we're trying to avoid a, an eternal freefall. It's really quite a balancing act, if you think about it. And it causes us to not really be fully in one world or the either, and we never really can enjoy either life. In fact, if we're honest about it, it leaves us pretty empty. I think the Bible acknowledges that there is this tension that exists in us. In 1 John, it says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you cannot have the love of the Father in you. We try so hard to live in both worlds. We want so desperately to have a meaningful faith in Jesus. I think that's why all of us are here. And yet, deep down, we really don't want to give up the stuff of this world either. We just want to be able to put in the minimal effort that it will take to feel like we are achieving an acceptable level of success which reduces the Christian faith, basically, to a Sunday morning thing. Because a lot of us believe that if we just show up in church on Sunday mornings and we believe in God, then we have done enough to be able to eke out a save into eternity. For it is by grace we have been saved. And that is good enough for me. However, there is a phrase at the end of that verse that we tend to ignore. And that phrase is two words. Through faith. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. That phrase, through faith, I'm afraid, is a bit of a game changer. Because here's what the Bible says that faith should look like. In the book of James, chapter 2, it says, What good is it if you say that you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? Because I'm going to show you my faith by what I do. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God? Good for you. Even the demons in hell believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without action is not faith at all? It's a sobering passage of Scripture because it basically is saying that The Christian faith is more than just belief, right? That if we call ourselves a Christian, that it's not enough to just go to church on Sunday mornings and say you believe in God and that is the extent of your faith. Faith is way bigger than that. It requires action. It requires us to do a complete and radical life change. It requires us to live differently. It's more than just a Sunday morning thing. It's more than just a quick prayer before dinner thing. It's a faith that is rooted deep in the belief that I know that before anything else, above all, 
who I am is a follower of Jesus. And that determines everything else that I do in my life. Every step I take, every decision I make is based on my relationship with God and trying to please God. In 2 Corinthians, it says, Therefore, we are confident and know that as long as we are at home in this world, we are living away from God. For we live by faith and not by sight. So we make it our goal to live in such a way that pleases God. For we must all appear before God on judgment day so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while we were here on this earth, whether good or bad. So the Apostle Paul is giving us a clear warning here. This is, hey, don't get too comfortable in this body because this is not the end game. Don't get too cozied up in this world because before long, we're all going to be stepping into a brand new world. And on that day, when we step out of this world and into the next, we will all stand before God. And we'll be held accountable for the way that we lived our lives. For the things that we've done. And if we did not follow him in this life, we will not be able to follow him in the next. And I don't think that any of us would consider that to be an acceptable level of success. We did the minimal effort, but it didn't work out the way we hoped. When we finally get real about our faith, it causes us to live differently. We stop straddling the abyss. And we now have both feet firmly planted in a life in God. And that's what it looks like to become a follower of Jesus that we are all in. Our uh, vision statement here at Westridge really reflects that belief that we are committed to bringing people through a continuum of building a stronger faith by growing deeper in our relationship with God. And we break it down into three movements. We call it the three E's. That Westridge exists to help people encounter, embrace, and embody the radical love of God. And we say it's a continuum because the Bible teaches that we, we never stop growing. That we should always be working to grow as followers of Jesus. And we use these three movements as a way to oversimplify a very complicated, lifelong process of growing deeper in our faith in God. And we're going to talk about the third E in some weeks to come, but I want to look real quickly at what those first two E's look like. The first movement is that word encounter. And I would guess that this is where most of us are this morning, because this is where we would say that I would call myself a believer. I believe in God. I have a belief in God, but I'm still trying to figure it all out, and I wouldn't say that I'm all that committed. This is the very first step that we make towards God when we come to the realization that God really does exist, and something has stirred inside of us to say, I want that. I want to put God into my life. And this stage is a fine place to be 
in exploring our faith for a while. The problem is that a lot of us get stuck here. This is where we get stuck straddling the abyss, one foot in one world, one in the other, and we never change because here is where we think we can get that minimal effort to achieve the maximum output of success. So the obstacles of getting out of this phase and moving on in our relationship with God, they're huge. I mean, first of all, the first biggest obstacle is the fact that it's comfortable here. Right? It's, it's a comfortable place to be, to believe that we have all of our bases covered, whereby I can believe in God, I can pray when I need Him, I have a nice church experience, but I never, ever really have to change my life. It's a comfortable place to be. The other obstacle is where there's just a lack of desire. We don't really see the benefit of changing our life because there's nothing we have experienced yet that is compelling about the Christian faith that gives us that desire to go deeper and to go all in. And the problem is that the kind of faith that is required of God is the kind of faith that goes beyond just the intellectual understanding that there is a God. If we acknowledge, like it does in the book of James, that even the demons believe that there is a God and tremble and fear him, then we can't really ignore the fact that there has to be something more to this faith thing than just belief. Right? Because we're not in the same category as the demons. So there has to be something that sets us apart from just a belief standpoint. And I think it's taking that next step that is critical in our relationship with God, which is the next movement, which is to fully embrace it. This is where we say that I have accepted or embraced his grace through faith, in terms of the definition of faith. And I now call myself a follower of Jesus. I identify myself as a follower of Jesus. This is where you get it, and you begin to live it. And this movement is is truly where things begin to turn, where it gets real for us, and we begin to make changes in our lives. And it's born out of this premise that the grace of God is so compelling that we want to be all in. Embracing the love of God is more than just about being religious. It's about changing our life completely. We accept his forgiveness for the junk in our past. We start putting into practice what the Bible teaches about how we should then live and start living differently. You live your life and you make decisions about your life based on your faith in God. Both feet are now firmly planted on the narrow dirt path that leads to Jesus. Changes everything. There's some obstacles to this as well. And the first one is there's a serious fight for control. That transition into this stage, I think a lot of people don't understand that God requires full control of our lives and we have a hard time letting go of that control. I'll tell you the biggest obstacle in my personal walk with God is to relinquish control because Lord knows I love to be in control. And the second one is just giving up the world. Jesus says in order to follow him that we have to give up the stuff of this world. We have to let go of the stuff of this world so that we can then 
be freed up to grab hold of God and live fully in Him. Again, it's a struggle for me. It's a struggle to let go of the stuff that we love. We're comfortable here. These are the things that we know. There's things that make us feel secure. It's very uncomfortable to let that stuff go and grab fully, put everything that you have into the grace of God. But when we are successful in moving through those obstacles, it's not enough for me anymore to invite Jesus into my church time on Sunday mornings and then ask him to be dismissed on Sunday night before I go to work on Monday. The hard part of the Christian life is that it's the everyday part. It's the being a follower of Jesus all the time part. It's turning control of our life over to Jesus part. It's the living by faith, not by sight part. And so if you're still wondering, how little can I do and still get into heaven? Simple answer. According to the Bible... There is nothing you can do. Heaven is a free gift. And you can't live a life good enough or perfect enough to earn it or deserve it. That's why it's called grace. But there is this tension between grace and the through faith part. And I think that the Apostle Paul really resolves it and shows it what it looks like in Romans chapter 6. When he says, okay, how do we move on from here? How shall we live then? Shall we keep on doing the minimum in order to achieve the level of success that we're happy with? Shall we keep our foot planted? Shall we keep on sinning so that God can can continue to give us more and more grace? Shall we keep on sinning so that we can get more and more forgiveness? Of course not. For those of us who have died to sin and left our old lives behind, how could we possibly ever want to invite sin back into our lives? Shall we keep our foot in the world so that we can still live the way we want to live? Shall we keep straddling the abyss just in case we need an exit strategy and want to go the other way? Shall I just keep doing the bare minimum that it takes just to eke my way into heaven? No. Because in that moment, when we're saved by grace through faith, something happens. Once we truly understand how lost we once were and how amazing is the love of God, how amazing is His grace, once we realize just how messed up our lives are without Jesus and we've experienced the beauty of His forgiveness, once we get a taste of what a new life in Jesus really is, looks like 
there's no way you can ever want to go back. There's no way you ever want to do the minimum because the minimum isn't enough for me anymore because now I have a desire to live fully in God. And the new benchmark for success has been changed in that I want more. I want as much Jesus in my life as I can get. And the new measure of success is now to have a life of fulfillment and purpose and abundance. And instead of trying to live between two worlds straddling the abyss, it's all changed for me now. I'm all fully in. And all of a sudden, I can't get enough of what God wants for me because that's what drives me. And I can breathe a little easier these days because of it. Because I know what lies at the end of that road. Instead of trying to just secure my spot in heaven, now, these days, I'm just trying to experience a little more heaven here on this earth.